Hi everyone, and welcome to Mercury in Aquarius. I'm Amelia, the creator and host, and last week we talked about who we are as people. So today I'm going to focus on ways to improve the self, specifically a practice called shadow work. Shadow work is the process of addressing past traumas, mistakes, and things we dislike about ourselves. This can be anything from exploring your own negative views on yourself, to figuring out why you feel certain ways about other people, exploring past events that have brought you pain, or even delving deep into your childhood and figuring out why you're still hurting from things that happened then. You hear the term shadow work a lot in the spiritual community, but even when you're not doing dedicated shadow work for spiritual growth, you're doing it all the time without even realizing it. You know, the times you get so stuck in your own mind reflecting on past events, or going to therapy, or even just talking about your problems with your best friend. These are all forms of shadow work. A lot of people ask me how to become more spiritual, which is a question I don't really understand because we are all inherently very spiritual beings. But if you're looking to focus on growing spiritually, shadow work is a great place to start because spirituality is all about embracing the dark with the light. Today we're going to talk about how to do shadow work in a healthy and effective way, which will hopefully teach you how to connect with your shadows, bringing you closer to your most authentic self. This is Mercury in Aquarius, talking about everything under the stars. First, let's talk about the most common ways we encourage self-help here in America, and how some of those methods aren't beneficial in the long run. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you decide to improve yourself? Therapy. Which is great. Therapy used to be so stigmatized, you know? If you go to therapy, you're weak or you're crazy. And unfortunately, there are some people that still think that way. But the stigma on therapy is changing drastically overall, and I'm so here for it. There are several methods of therapy depending on an individual's needs. Now, the effectiveness of each method is up for debate, but regardless, we as a collective are developing a greater focus on mental health. And while there is a larger collective push toward better mental health treatment, there are still plenty of people in this country that don't see the validity in seeking mental help. They'll tell you to address your mental issues with exercise, or pouring yourself into your work, or will straight up tell you to suppress it, because some think that dwelling on your issues will make them worse. And there is some truth to that belief, but there's a big difference between dwelling and processing. When you don't address your issues, they implant themselves in your subconscious mind and affect your daily thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. The human mind is like a garden. We only see the tops of our thoughts, the flowers sprouting from the ground, but each thought stems from roots in our subconscious. We don't just think things for no reason, with the exception of genuine intrusive thought. So there are these emotional blockages hindering our ability to embody our highest selves. Doing shadow work helps remove those blockages that are buried deep in our subconscious. Now let's talk about how to do that dedicated shadow work. I mentioned some examples before. Therapy, talking to people about your feelings, or working through your darkest thoughts internally. While these are all great methods of dissecting your pain, there are other structured forms of shadow work that can also be very beneficial. When you start looking into how to do shadow work, the first thing that'll probably come up is journaling. Journaling is an incredibly effective way of doing shadow work. And this can either be just documenting your thoughts throughout the day and looking for patterns, or doing specific journaling prompts that dig into your dark side. 
This is what I recommend because it gives you direction in your shadow work. These prompts can range from what do I dislike about myself to who has caused me more pain than anyone else? Because shadow work isn't just about your own personal faults and forgiving yourself for your own mistakes. It's also about unpacking how others have impacted you and forgiving them for that pain. Here are some of my personal favorite shadow work prompts. What angers me most about my childhood? What bothers me most about my relationship with each parent? What negative emotion do I feel most often? In what ways do I hold myself back from love or success? Who have I hurt in the past and why? Who have I not forgiven for hurting me? What was the worst moment of my life? This kind of inner work is necessary for everyone, especially people looking to seek higher truths. Because realistically, how can you expect to evolve without pain? We learn our most valuable lessons amid the bad shit. So when we suppress our trauma and pain, we are holding ourselves back from growth. Like I see all these spiritualists who preach love and light, which is great because that's what we're supposed to spread. But some people have this no bad vibes mindset and that's not healthy. Buddhism teaches us that the only constant in humanity is suffering. Everyone is suffering. So trying to ignore that suffering for the sake of no bad vibes has the exact opposite effect of what people are trying to achieve in spirituality. Asking yourself these types of questions allows you to find the root of your toxic thoughts and behaviors and actually pull them out. Journaling is an awesome way to tangibly work through these issues and get these thoughts out of your head and onto paper. Other great forms of shadow work are therapy or talking to people in general, guided meditations, and contemplation. Therapy, obviously, because therapy is designed for you to work through your thoughts. I know a lot of people have negative experiences with therapy, which is completely justified. Some therapists are very poorly trained, but that process of talking through your thoughts allows you to see those thoughts in a new light and enable change for the better. Same with just talking to people, like your best friend or family members. Just get it out of your brain. Seriously, it helps so much. Our mind gets clogged up pretty easily, especially while actively doing shadow work. So sharing those thoughts with someone will physically make you feel lighter. Another form of shadow work that I absolutely love is guided meditation. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of guided meditation videos, apps, and resources online. And these guided meditations range from opening yourself up to love or abundance, to cleansing negative energy, to accessing your psychic abilities. In terms of doing shadow work, I highly recommend doing guided meditations that surround clearing negative energy, reducing anxiety, or inner child healing meditations. These guided meditations often include visualizations, or they will ask shadow work type questions and guide you through finding the root of certain emotions. If you haven't done a guided meditation before, just get on YouTube and set an intention for your meditation. If you want to remove emotional blockages, Type guided meditation for removing emotional blockages in the search bar and pick a video that looks intriguing to you. Then meditate however you please, whether that's sitting down, laying down, using crystals, whatever you want. And some people have trouble focusing during meditation, which is why I love guided meditations, because someone is telling you what to visualize and bring to the surface of your mind. It's easier to keep your mind on track. In doing these regularly, you will not only be reaping the benefits of just meditation in general, you will also be working through some of these more difficult emotions and thoughts, which will enable you to grow spiritually after you work through them. 
And finally, a risky but powerful form of shadow work is just sitting with your thoughts. You'd be surprised at how many conclusions or realizations you come to when you willingly explore your negative thoughts. For example, let's say you're on your computer, I don't know, writing or something, and then you start mentally criticizing yourself for your writing, calling yourself stupid and untalented. Instead of pushing those thoughts away or allowing them to continue, take a minute and start talking to those thoughts. Ask yourself why you feel that way or how often these thoughts run through your head. When was the first time you felt that way? Who has made you feel that way in the past? It is this level of analysis that allows you to find the root of negative thought patterns and behaviors. And once you can identify those roots, you can pull them out and change your behavior for the better. Now, like I said, this particular form of shadow work is risky, and I'll explain why in a minute, but that brings me to my next point. Shadow work is a very difficult and draining process that should not be taken lightly. Simply put, developing hyper-awareness of your own emotions, issues, or wrongdoings feels fucking terrible. I started my shadow work during quarantine around April 2020 because I had plenty of time to think. So in bringing 19 years of pain, trauma, and guilt to the surface, I went to a really dark place. And this was during quarantine, so everyone was already struggling enough. I became consumed by my shadows especially since I was alone. No one was there to talk me down from it. And ever since I was a kid, I was super busy all the time, mostly distracting myself from what was brewing in my head. So it was like I got slammed with a lifetime of suppressed emotions when quarantine started. Shadow work helped me identify these emotions and understand them better. But in doing all this shadow work, my head was just filled with my past mistakes. Everything I did or said, I searched for what I was doing wrong. And this was heavily affecting my relationships, too, because I was suddenly hit with the ways I've fucked up past friendships and relationships. And with those past mistakes swirling around in my mind 24-7, I almost accidentally manifested those patterns repeating. Not because I wanted to keep repeating those past mistakes, but because I just felt consumed by my shadows. I felt like I was destined to keep hurting people and hurting myself and repeating those patterns over and over again. Like it was a very counterproductive mindset to what I was trying to achieve through shadow work. Instead of working through these emotions, I was just becoming them. And because of that, I was manifesting them to continue. So in doing so much shadow work and internalizing what I learned about myself in the wrong ways, I convinced myself that I was inherently broken and destined to keep repeating these patterns. And it took me a long time to unlearn this. And I'm still working to convince myself daily that I'm not just my mistakes. Now, I know it doesn't sound like it. (laughs) But I am very glad I did all this shadow work. Because I needed called out on some shit that I was doing. I needed to address some things that I had brushed under the rug. And I needed to address some things in my mind that I had suppressed for a long time. And I still do shadow work prompts often. Not as often, but often. But... It's less about learning things about myself now and more about working with what I learned. I saw this tweet recently that said, man, this healing shit never ends, does it? And I'm not gonna lie, once you start doing shadow work, it never does quite end. You're constantly learning how to work with what you've learned and learning more things about yourself and becoming more aware of your patterns. But that's, that's what it's all about, right? We're supposed to grow and evolve. And as humans, we are never stagnant. You know, you're not going to do shadow work for a month straight and then be healed forever. 
You know, you have to continuously work with what you've learned about yourself and grow more aware of the way you're treating other people and just continuing that process forever. It's hard, but it's worth it because you're growing. And it's also worth it to do shadow work because that means you're improving how you treat the people around you. You know, you do shadow work for the purpose of spiritual growth and working through your own mind. But once you address your own mistakes, you can apply that to your relationships and strengthen those as well. But willingly unveiling this much pain and self-esteem issues is not something you should take lightly. It will hurt a lot and your perception of yourself will change. You may realize that there's some people you need to forgive or apologize to, or habits you need to break. You're exposing the dark underbelly of your own life, and you probably won't like what you learn. Now think about our last episode, where we talked about how we aren't our thoughts to begin with. Adopting this mindset is crucial when you do shadow work, because it keeps you from being consumed by your shadows, like I was. Identifying with the awareness behind all this darkness allows you to work through what you awaken, instead of being defined by your mistakes. Practicing non-attachment to our thoughts makes shadow work easier because we can learn from these shadows, since they aren't ultimately who we are as a person. Plus, recall that that source consciousness is God. It's the divine. It's pure love. So when you're identifying with that source of awareness, it's easier to approach your shadows with love and kindness and a desire to help them. And your shadow self is a part of your ego. So if you're identifying primarily with your ego, it becomes a lot easier to start identifying with your shadows, becoming your mistakes, and causing that bad spiral of negative emotionality. I talk to spiritualists about shadow work, and some of them don't think it's necessary for that very reason. We aren't our thoughts or emotions to begin with, so why give our shadows any weight or attention? I was talking to a friend a few weeks back who is very spiritually sound, and he said he didn't believe in therapy because he knows that every negative thought, experience, or habit resides in the ego. When he has an unfavorable thought, he just lets it pass and doesn't explore it at all because that thought isn't him. Now, I can't tell if that's incredibly mature or immature. Because he's right. We aren't those thoughts. And I made the mistake of defining myself by my shadow for a long time which ruined my self-esteem, my motivation, my life, really, for about a year. But at the same time, these thoughts have roots, and they're going to affect our behavior until we fully explore them. Like, if I just continuously dismissed my attachment issues, then I would continue having attachment issues, because those behaviors are imprinted on my subconscious. Maybe once I evolve more in my spiritual journey, I'll understand, but right now I don't quite agree that we shouldn't give our thoughts any weight at all especially the bad thoughts. True, there are thoughts that enter our head with no rhyme or reason. I mean, I have OCD, I'm the queen of that. But there is merit in understanding what's going on in our head and exploring it. Now, another concern with doing shadow work, ironically, is some of the conclusions we may come to. With more people going to therapy and willingly exploring their subconscious mind, more and more people are getting diagnosed with disorders or mental health conditions. Now, don't get me wrong, this is inherently a great thing. My diagnoses saved my life and helped me in countless ways. But modern social media culture has started using diagnostic language to describe common emotional experiences, and that is a dangerous thing. For example, if you're on TikTok, you may have seen videos of someone saying something like, if you recognize your family members by their footsteps, that means you had a traumatic childhood. 
Like, no, that sets an unhealthy precedent for young people who are trying to figure out who they are and can lead people to subconsciously invent their own trauma or force their emotional experiences to fit those of a certain label. And overusing diagnostic language like that degrades the meaning of a genuine diagnosis. In the example I just used, being able to recognize each family member by their footsteps, that alone is not genuine trauma. Maybe it was part of more complex, prolonged childhood trauma, but making statements like that is not only misleading, but insulting to people who have genuine trauma. It almost downplays the meaning of the word trauma, so people who are seeking help for trauma aren't taken as seriously. I have diagnosed OCD, I've had it since I was 12, and I hear this all the time. My OCD is so bad, I have to color code in my closet. Or, I'm such a germaphobe, everything has to be neat. Like, you're describing what it means to be particular or nitpicky. That is not OCD. And I bet money that if I told you what OCD does to my brain, you'd look at me like I was batshit fucking insane. And people use the term OCD in such a cavalier way that I'm not taken seriously when I need help for it. Or content producers on apps like TikTok will post the symptoms of certain disorders and people will start self-diagnosing based off of TikTok. Yes, self-diagnosing is incredibly valid, especially with the astronomical cost of mental help. But when it's based on broad or downright false information on social media, that can cause a lot of harm. And I feel hypocritical saying this because apps like TikTok and Twitter have helped me understand my diagnoses in a healthy way. There are pages and content creators that post content that is backed by research or personal experiences that have helped me see my disorders in a new light or explore their complexity, but you know, it's a double-edged sword. Because there are excellent creators who post reputable information regarding mental health, and there are also people who will post things like the example with the footsteps, or one that I saw recently was, psychosis is when you think you're a character in a movie which may be a part of psychosis, but then every young, impressionable person who comes in contact with that post will apply that knowledge to their life and think they are spiraling into psychosis every time they feel like a character in a movie. And they may act on the idea that they are spiraling into psychosis and start questioning their reality when they shouldn't. It's a very slippery slope, especially for people my age or younger who are just looking for answers and cannot differentiate mental fabrications from reality by themselves yet. And it's this heavy focus on labels that force our emotions into boxes. Sad? Oh, it's my depression. Stressed? Oh, it's generalized anxiety. Reflecting other people's personalities? You have BPD. Intense mood swings bipolar. Like we are counterintuitively lessening the value of these diagnostic labels by adding these labels to every negative thought or emotion we encounter. And I am totally guilty of this too. Like when I get overstimulated or extremely stressed at one time, I have to mentally justify it to myself by saying, oh, it's just my autism. It's almost like we use these labels as justification for our emotions rather than just letting ourselves feel them. Which again, double-edged sword, lots of mental health issues are because having these labels allows us to pinpoint where emotions or thoughts are coming from and gives us the answer to why am I feeling this way instead of just letting us be confused by our own thoughts or emotions. But when we use these labels for justification for every thought, emotion, or experience, 
it's not as much I am feeling this way. It's I am feeling this way because of this. And we don't allow ourselves to fully interpret or process our emotions or thoughts because we have that answer. Does that make sense? For example, with my germ-based OCD, let's say that I touch a public door handle that makes me stressed. And I could approach it as I am stressed about touching this door handle because I fear the contaminants on it will get into my body and give me a disease. Or I can approach it from the angle of I touched this door handle and it's making me nervous because I have OCD. Now, the latter allows me to pinpoint why I'm feeling those emotions, but by ignoring the first way of thinking, I am not exploring exactly why I am stressed. And by crediting all of that stress to one specific label, I'm not working through that thought process. I'm not rationalizing it. I'm just pushing it away. Which can be helpful short term for intrusive thoughts because pushing them away is not giving them any attention. But if I want to work through that thought process and keep myself from getting stressed the next time I touch the door handle, I need to work through that and I need to rationalize it and make my head clearer the next time I approach a door handle rather than just saying, oh, it's my OCD, I'll go wash my hands and do what I need to do. That's acting on the disorder, but not working through the emotions that the disorder is causing. What I'm trying to say is that there is a lot of validity in being diagnosed with mental health disorders, but I think we have started forcing labels onto every emotional experience. And labels can definitely help us identify and communicate what's happening in our minds, but they're often used inaccurately, both in conversation and on the internet. And I'm saying this because in doing shadow work, you will uncover a lot of shit about yourself that you didn't know was there. And that may include realizing you show signs of a certain disorder. And it can be very easy to then spiral in self-diagnosing, which may end up doing you more harm than good. Again, don't get me wrong, self-diagnosing, valid. Absolutely, when it's done right. If you are digging into your emotional compass during shadow work and realize, wow, I might actually have anxiety. Do research, please do real research. Talk to people who have the disorder you're questioning and talk to the people you're close with to get their insight too. Obviously, no one else can see into your head, but when you're facing all of these shadows at once, you may be compelled to start naming each of these negative experiences with diagnostic language especially with how mainstream diagnostic language has become. So just, you know, be mindful of that. I'm so sorry, I got way off track. But speaking from experience, it's important to keep this in mind. Your thoughts don't need to have a name to be valid, and it is so tempting to start diagnosing yourself with every disorder under the sun when you start doing shadow work because you're overwhelmed with negativity all the time. And I apologize if that came across as critical of self-diagnosing or of labels in general because that was not my intent at all. I hold a lot of value to my mental disorders and their labels and they have helped me in so many ways to understand myself and communicate my emotions. But with this culture surrounding diagnostic language that we've created, it's easy to use that language in the wrong way and that is what I'm trying to advocate against because I have done that before and it has made me question my reality in ways that were incredibly unpleasant and very harmful to me long term and I wish that I would have had that warning going into shadow work. Another concern I have with shadow work is the subjectivity of what it means to be good. I struggled with this a lot when I was doing shadow work and before that even. It's very easy for me to think in black and white, good and bad, guilty and victim, strong and weak, but that's not how people work at all. 
In a vast majority of situations between people, no one person is entirely at fault. Yet when I began my shadow work and began confronting the mistakes I made, I convinced myself that I was entirely guilty in every negative situation I had ever encountered. Or I would realize how badly someone hurt me and mentally place all the blame on them, which wasn't fair either. In reality, humans are very complex and each person has their own struggles holding them back from success. Plus, everyone has a different perception of the world and the people in it. I'm sure there are people that view me as my mistakes and think I am mean or selfish based on past quarrels. And then there's people who view me as kind and selfless. Depends on when in my life people met me or their personal experiences with me. Because everyone views me differently, including myself, there is not a single objective version of me. And this is true of everyone. Nothing is objective. Sorry, I'm getting kind of off track again, but I promise I'm going somewhere with this. So, if there is no objective self or reality, then there is no concrete, objective way to be good. And shadow work is all about working to purify the mind so that you can evolve and channel the highest good. Each religion has a different view of what it means to be good. Religion acts as sort of a guidebook for being a good person while on earth. But there are several religions for a reason. Everyone, every individual, has a different opinion on what it means to be good. And the traits that some people try to get rid of during shadow work, other people may consider strengths. Like, do you think intentions matter when doing good deeds? Or is being harsh okay when you're being honest? The answers to these questions vary from person to person. And acknowledging this subjectivity of reality makes you wonder, why try to be good if it means something different to everyone? Not to mention the environmental factors that hold us back from being good. NBC's The Good Place emphasizes this idea really well. For those who haven't seen The Good Place, first of all, watch it. It's incredible and makes a lot of important moral statements. Without revealing too many spoilers, the show takes place in the afterlife. There is a good place and there is a bad place. The show explores why people go to the bad place, and it's revealed that there are countless factors out of our control that cause us to make a negative impact on our environment. An example they use is buying your mother flowers. Though that is an inherently kind act, it can be harmful if the flowers are grown using pesticides, which cause runoff into nearby water streams. Plus, if the flower distributors unethically exploit their workers, buying those flowers is negatively impacting those people. We make choices every day that hurt other people, even when our intentions are pure, especially under modern day capitalism. So being good is harder than ever right now. And coming to this realization kind of makes shadow work feel pointless in a way, because if we try to be good time and time again and those attempts repeatedly fail, even with pure intention, then what is the point in dredging up all of our shadows and our mistakes and feeling horribly about ourselves while doing it if our attempts to be good aren't even guaranteed to have the outcome that we want? And The Good Place touches on this a lot too, you know, this idea of why try to be good? Why bring our shadows to the surface and work through them head on? It's so much easier to suppress them and continue letting them fester under the surface where we can't see them and continue to be self-serving and just stay stagnant where we are. It's much harder to willingly work through your mistakes and try to be better. The Good Place also illuminates the paradox of thinking you are a good person. Thinking you are good doesn't make you good, and thinking you are bad doesn't absolve your negative actions. In fact, actively thinking you are an inherently good or bad person is just feeding your ego. 
and doing shadow work highlights your flaws. So it's easy to start categorizing yourself as a good or bad person, which is dangerous no matter which way you go. Because if you consider yourself a bad person, all you'll see are your mistakes. But if you see yourself as a good person, you may grow blind to your mistakes or be extra hard on yourself when you mess up. Instead, shadow work is about accepting who we are as people. Not inherently good or bad, but just people with good moments and bad moments. And adopting this ideology makes you more compassionate toward yourself and others, because confronting your own pain makes you realize that others have their own shadows following them around too. Recall the last episode when we talked about the levels of seeing another person. You know, when you see someone for who they really are, you see a fellow soul. And souls are these divine beings that are pure love, but placed in different vessels. And each vessel has its own set of strengths and weaknesses and shadows that they must work to overcome. And when you do your own shadow work, you become more aware of those shadows in other people and become more compassionate to them because you know who they are underneath is a beautiful divine soul. And they're just held back by their specific ego, their specific set of restrictions. Plus, shadow work gives you the answers you've been searching for. You start to understand your own behaviors and with time, figure out why you do what you do. For me, shadow work brought me to the realization that I have autism, which will be its own episode. And even though dissecting that realization and the emotions that came with it was very confusing and painful at the time, it answered years of questions about my identity. And now I'm proud of who I am, the real me. Shadow work brought me there. Which connects to my next point. Shadow work brings you closer to your authentic self. When you address shit that's been suppressed in your mind, you're awakening parts of yourself that you've ignored. Because those parts of you still exist, even if you like to pretend they don't. So when you stop lying to yourself and about your shadow, and you own your shadow, that's far more beneficial than acting like it isn't there. You are more you than you've ever been, because you're embracing all that is you. And once you bring those shadows to the surface, you can work with them and rid yourself of the thoughts and emotions you don't want. Dissolve those emotional blockages keeping you from being your best self. Then you'll be able to flourish and your spiritual journey will skyrocket. Like taking apart a beaver dam, one branch at a time until the river is flowing freely. We deserve to flow freely, unrestricted by our shadows. While most of us won't completely get rid of our shadows, learning to work with them in a healthy way will improve your life more than you can imagine. Shadow work will enable you to either rid yourself of negative thought patterns and behaviors or learn how to work with them so they aren't controlling you from your subconscious mind. And that is far more beneficial than suppressing these shadows will ever be. Wow, that was intense. <laughs> Shadow work is intense. We don't like admitting we're flawed, and shadow work brings your flaws to the surface. If you've never done intentional shadow work before, I advise you to evaluate your current mental state before you start. So before you get started, take a second to evaluate whether you're in the right state to confront your shadows. Even if you don't think you're ready to start unpacking your childhood trauma at this moment, I hope this episode encouraged you to at least stop judging your shadows, because everyone has them. Everyone has done shit they aren't proud of or would take back, and everyone has been hurt by somebody else at some point. Pain and suffering are universal human constants, so you don't deserve to feel ashamed of the ways in which you hurt. Have you ever done shadow work before? What holds you back from confronting your own mistakes? I'd love to talk to you more about shadow work. My Instagram handle is at Mercury in Aquarius, with periods between each word. 
Join me next week as I talk about how to work with these shadows by retraining your thoughts. Thanks for tuning in, and have a lovely day, beautiful soul. If you liked the intro music, be sure to check out bedroom pop artist Vanna's full debut album, Priori, out on all streaming platforms today. That's P-R-I-O-R-I. And thank you to Lily Johnson for our incredible logo. Check out more of Lily's art on Instagram at artbylilyk and follow Vanna on Instagram at Savannah Baker. Special thanks to these two.